Today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. There is an evil plot to destroy mankind. And it comes from Satan himself who has sought from the very beginning. Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that has been his sole goal from the beginning of human history, is to destroy mankind. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Song of Songs. Are there any superhero fans out there? Good guys, thwarting evil plots. There's one guy that's out to destroy man, Satan. Today, Pastor J.D. speaks about this woman seeking her true love. Unfortunately, she's harmed while trying to find him. Satan will do anything to stop you in your tracks from growing closer to Jesus. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Song of Songs, chapter 5, with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I think if you were to put a word as a caption under everything we've seen in these first six verses, it would be this word, and again, very apropos in the context of what we're looking at here. The word is urgency. Urgency. There's no urgency. There's no, for lack of a better way of saying it, there's no now. There's no now in my relationship with the Lord. No now, not later. We procrastinate, don't we, when it comes to the things of God. It's, yeah, you know, I need to get this established first. I think once I am more, you know, stable, then I'll fully commit to the Lord. Well, how do you know that? I would venture to say that in my own personal experience over the years walking with the Lord, I've never seen it work like that. I've never seen it work like this, where someone says, hey, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to devote my life to the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve the Lord, but I need to do this first. And then when I, I'm more established, I'm, I'm more steady, I'm more ready, I'm more able, then I'll serve the Lord. You know what? Then never comes. No, serve Him now. Now, not tomorrow. Now's the time. Verse 7, and you'll have to be patient with me on this one. I think you'll see why here in a moment. So now he's gone. She's opened the door. Where is he? Need to go find him. Verse 7, the watchmen who went about the city found me. They struck me. What? They wounded me. The keepers of the walls took my veil away from me. I have to confess that this verse is just a little bit convicting as it relates to watchmen. Watchmen being and doing more harm than good, as it seems is the case here. 
Now, we're not told specifically, and, and certainly we can speculate as to what they did to her as she's seeking the Lord. These are the watchmen now. You know what the watchmen are, right? They're guarding the city. They're watchmen on the wall, and they're to sound the alarm and blow the trumpet if there's any threat of harm by an enemy approaching the city. So she goes out into the city streets looking for her husband, and she comes upon the watchman. Of course, she's going to come upon them. And instead of helping her, they hurt her. You know, this is one of those verses where I think we would do well to ask the Lord, why is this here? What is it that you want me to see here? We know that all Scripture is God-breathed for a purpose, whether it's instruction or rebuke. We don't like the rebuke part. We like the, (laughs) the other parts. But certainly this is here for a reason. And the Holy Spirit deemed it necessary to include this part of the song here in this chapter. So why is it here? I am personally of the belief that it is an indictment on those watchmen, modern day, who for whatever reason are a hindrance to God's people in seeking the Lord. We don't know what it is that they took away from her, the the veil? What veil? Obviously it was an article of clothing that she was wearing, and they took it from her. Could that be representative of watchmen taking away something from those who are seeking the Lord, longing for the return of the Lord? I think watchmen have to be oh so careful, and this is why it's so convicting to me personally, that we are a help to God's people, that we don't hurt or wound God's people. I wonder Was she disappointed? I mean, these are the watchmen after all. They're supposed to, I know this is deeply profound, but don't watchmen watch? They're watchmen, so they watch. And so certainly they're they're watching, and certainly in their watching they would have seen where he went. And instead of pointing them to Jesus, they rebuke them? Is that what happened here? Very possibly. I think watchmen can be, and again, I appreciate your patience with me on this. I I take this very seriously, this verse. But I think watchmen do err greatly when they become the ones that the people go to. All we're to do is to point them to Jesus, to sound the alarm as watchmen on the wall, that Jesus is coming. That's all we're to do. It's something the last, I want to say about two, three months now, the Lord very clearly has ministered to me. It's very simple. It's get Jesus to the people and get the people to Jesus. And here's that word, now. Now. Now's the time. 
because we're almost out of time. It's like the Lord, and I remember it was as clear as day for me, where the Lord just spoke to my heart and said, I want you to get them to me. I'll take her from there. Okay, that's pretty easy. That's simple enough. Just get them to you, right? Yeah, just get them to me. And I'll take her from there. Get Jesus to the people and get the people to Jesus. That's it. And by the way, don't put it off. Do it now. Every week when I give you that privilege to stand behind this pulpit and preach and teach as a watchman, especially teaching Bible prophecy, don't, um, how do I say this without, I'll just say, don't get in my way. And don't get in their way coming to me. Because watchmen can do that. Or all of a sudden it's, it's them, the watchmen. And now all of a sudden, and you'll forgive me, but now all of a sudden it's, what does so-and-so say? I hope this doesn't sound bad, but for lack of a better way of saying it, who cares what they say? Well, I wonder what I wonder what JD is going to say about this. Don't do that. Stop that. It doesn't matter what I have to say. The only thing that matters is what does Jesus say? What does Jesus say? What does God's word say? And oh, by the way, God's word is the final word. God has the final say. Well, yeah, but it's really interesting, you know, what's happening, the developments in the Middle East and the peace agreements, and now I guess Morocco, did you see this this week? And I wonder what J.D. has to say about that. What? Just, let's see what God's Word has to say. Okay, I'm really convicted right now, so (laughs) we're going to move on to verse 8. Thank you, Jesus. So now she leaves the watchman, thank God, they're of no help. And verse 8, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem. This isn't the first time she's had the encounter with the watchman, and it's not the first time that she's been searching and finds the daughters of Jerusalem. And she says to them, if you find my beloved, that you tell him, I am lovesick. And this again, not the first time she says that she's lovesick. This really captures the lovesick longing in the hearts of God's people for the appearing of the Lord. You know when uh, the Apostle Paul, by the way, uh, Lord willing, this Sunday we're going to finish 2 Timothy chapter 3. And you know it comes after 2 Timothy chapter 3, right? Again, deeply profound, chapter 4. Can't wait for chapter 4. Well, when we get to verses 7 and 8 in 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read this very well-known passage of Scripture where the Apostle Paul, knowing that his life is about to come to an end, this is probably the last time he'll ever write a letter, an epistle, and he's writing it to Timothy. He knows that it's just a matter of time, any day now. And so these are his final words. And what does he say to Timothy? Whom he loves, he loves him like a son like a son, and says as much. And he says to Timothy, 
I've fought the good fight of faith. I've finished the race. Not I've run the race. No, I've finished. I crossed the finish line. And now, here's what awaits me. What awaits me is this crown of righteousness. That's what awaits me. Because I finished. I finished the race. I fought the good fight. And then he says, this crown of righteousness, and by the way, for those of you that are interested, do a study on the crowns. Very fascinating. This is a specific crown of righteousness. And guys, if you're getting weird on the whole crown thing, think about it as a king. The crown of a king. (laughs) And we're going to cast those crowns before him, but we're going to receive this crown of righteousness, because Paul goes on to say to Timothy, it's not just for me only that I'm going to receive this crown of righteousness. It's for all who long, dare I say ache, yearn, yearn for His appearing. There's a crown of righteousness for those that are longing for the Lord's return in the rapture of the church. Notice the appearing, not the coming. That's not a play on words. The appearing of the Lord. That's where He appears, and He he doesn't come all the way to the earth. That's the second coming, after the seven-year tribulation. This is the rapture, when the Lord appears and takes us as His bride to that place that He's prepared for us, as we looked at in his father's house, that bridal chamber. And he takes us back to that place. And very interesting when he says that to the disciples. You know, whenever Jesus would teach in those teachable moments, the disciples, he would always reference it as a fulfillment of the scripture. Even at the Last Supper, the Passover, it was a fulfillment of the Passover. Jesus would connect those scriptural dots as the fulfillment of those prophecies. But interesting, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but when he refers to this place that he's preparing, he doesn't connect it to a prior prophecy. He doesn't say, he doesn't attach to it that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Why is that? Because he's introducing the rapture of the church. That's not to say that, and we've seen this in the types and the shadows, that the rapture is not in the Old Testament. Oh my goodness, is it? And we saw that with Joseph. I mean, big time. But what he was saying was, he was introducing to them the rapture as a bridegroom to his bride. And he would go on then to expound on that. And they're trying to wrap their minds around that. Wait, wait, wait. I don't remember this. <laughs> go to prepare a place. And what scripture does that fulfill? Oh, no, I'm introducing this to you now. This is the rapture. And it should put to rest once and for all, all of the questions about Where did Jesus ever talk about the rapture? Replete throughout the Gospels, Jesus is speaking as a bridegroom to His bride concerning what we know as the rapture. And by the way, the word rapture is a transliteration from the Latin Vulgate, 
rapturos or raptro. In the Greek, it's harpazo. And we translate it in the English, caught up. I prefer rapture more than harpazo. Doesn't harpazo kind of sound like a, like a garbanzo bean? I'll have a side. I'm sorry, but no, it does. Like garbanzo. I'll take a side of garbanzo beans and I'll take some of those harpazo beans over there. But rapture sounds like, like it sounds. Rapture. Like fast. And it's going to be very fast. I am of the belief that God not only never faults anyone for longing for the rapture, watching for the rapture, looking for the Lord's return, excited about the Lord's return. I think it's the opposite that's true. Not only does He not hold it against us, as it were, He actually is going to reward us because of it. Well, I could go on. You know I could. I won't. Verse 9, my favorite topic is the rapture. So anytime I get a chance to talk about the I'm going to do it. I'm going to take advantage and seize that opportunity. <laughs> Verse 9, it's the hope, right? It's the, not only is it the blessed hope, Paul writing to Titus, it's our only hope, right? I know I've said this many times, and again, I I'll never tire of saying it. I hope you don't tire of me saying it. But okay, this will be the last thing I'll say about the rapture, and then we'll move on to verse 9. We, we were so close to verse 9. Not quite, just hang on. I, and I mean this, this is not hyperbole, and the Lord knows my heart when I say this. If it were not for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, it's not a theory, it's a sound doctrine. It's a sound doctrine. If it weren't for the sound doctrine of the pre-tribulation rapture, I honestly do not believe that I would still have my sanity. And again, that is not hyperbole. Because as I look and I see, and you know, Solomon, we saw this in Ecclesiastes, writes about how that with much knowledge comes much sorrow. Have you ever thought about it like that? As Christians, we know more than the non-Christians of what comes packaged with that knowledge of the end and what's coming upon the world. What comes packaged with that is much sorrow. We, we, we say it in the secular sense, ignorance is bliss. There are some times where I just wish even in my studies and research and my preparation for the prophecy updates, there are some things that I just wish I did not learn about what's going on. I mean, it is so evil. There is an evil plot to destroy mankind. And it comes from Satan himself, who has sought from the very beginning. Jesus says that he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that has been his sole goal from the beginning of human history, is to destroy mankind. And so there is this evil plot afoot, and especially in these last days, really the last moments, the last hour, 
He's sort of revving it up, ramping it up, if you will. And were it not for, again, the sound doctrine of the rapture, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. But see, knowing that that trumpet could sound at any time, and the dead in Christ are going to rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up, our pozzo beans and uh, <laughs> raptors, <laughs> to meet the Lord in the air, that settles me. That's my anchor. That settles me. That calms me. It's like, okay, all right. All right. That, that's our great escape. You know when, and this gets people messed up, and okay, this will be the last, last thing on the rapture. <laughs> you know when Jesus said, you know, uh, pray that you're worthy to escape. A lot of people get all messed up, and, and unnecessarily so. And I, I don't mean to be mean. I just want to say this lovingly. What is it that you don't understand about that? Does, Jesus is not saying that we have to earn the right to go up in the rapture, to be deemed worthy to, be, to, to escape in the rapture. What he's saying is, pray that you're found worthy. Who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. So when he says, pray that you may be found worthy, not in your own worthiness, not in your own righteousness that Isaiah says is as filthy rags. And by the way, it's pretty graphic in the original language. I'll just leave it there. And the, the symbolism of it, when you understand it as a minstrel cloth that represents death, that was an egg that was not fertilized. That's what that means. In other words, that's what your righteousness is. It's death. The wages of sin is death. Your righteousness is worthless. Your own righteousness. It's His imputed righteousness. That's what makes you worthy. So when Jesus says, pray that you're worthy, in other words, you need to be in Christ and His righteousness imputed to you. And then you stand before Him, not in your own righteousness, you will not be worthy. You stand before Him in His righteousness, and you are worthy, and you will escape. Keyword escape. Don't get hung up on worthy. We, we resolved that, right? Can we close that file? Let's talk about the escape file. I like that word a lot. It's easy to read through the book of Song of Songs and think it only applies to couples. But the Word of God is always inclusive. This means you can glean something from every page, no matter who you are. So don't let your social status, job, age, or how long you've been a Christian hinder you from diving into the Bible. It's full of wisdom that you can apply to your life. As you listened to Pastor J.D.'s message today, we pray your faith was impacted in a powerful way. If you missed any part of this message or would like to hear others like it, just visit InSpiritAndTruthRadio.com. There you'll find an archive of teachings as well as other helpful tools in your walk with the Lord. 
We always love to hear from our listeners, too. If you have a specific prayer request or any questions, please don't hesitate to get in touch with us through our contact form on our website. Again, that's inspiritandtruthradio.com. You'll find it under the About tab. If you're in the Kaneohe area, we'd love to connect and have you join us for our worship services. Always feel free to bring your friends and family along, too. It's a great time of fellowship and learning about God with Pastor J.D. Be sure to let us know that you're a listener of In Spirit and Truth when you visit. You can find out more about Calvary Chapel Kaneohe at our website or find us on our media platforms to stay up to date with all things concerning Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Thanks for being part of our study here today. We hope you'll tune in again right here on In Spirit and Truth. Holding me true to